okay all right good evening guys and this will be my last but not the least podcast for the year i mean for the semester and it is SOS 503 which is the course code for soil physics i know a lot of people dread this course a lot because it has to do with calculation technicalities and some you know critical thinking but any which ways i'll take my time to at least break down this point to the lowest minimum and something that you can sit back and remember yourself i should have taken a tutorial on this course earlier but time didn't permit so it's nobody's fault and one of the interesting thing on this podcast is that you'll be getting to listen to one of our finest <laughs> well you'll be getting to listen to me featuring Richard Frost in one of my secretly recorded songs that I'm not sure if I'll ever publish things I do for fun you'll be feeling me you know <laughs> so you guys stay tuned but this segment um this course is divided into three major parts dr busari taught us for four weeks and he taught on soil water dr mrs onat Sawyer taught us for two weeks and she taught us on soil air and aeration then professor yedili my able supervisor he taught us for two weeks as well and he taught us on soil magnets and soil temperature um well <clears throat> i've been doing podcasts all this while i never made a shout out to my g's like mario g's in the department and the first and you know they say ladies first so i'll be getting the orisha mefa the six ladies that my department entails and the first and number one person you all know who it is now <laughs> we started our dread level together then on to a lot of journey i deal with a sekina motivation and a friend uh victoria chairman dr mrs anat sawyer told us for two weeks so let me do the um shout out properly in between um because i'll be shouting out to you one by one so as not to take our time so let's begin <laughs> all right well well i'd like us to start with um soil solids and this is dr busari's part actually but let us start from this place since it is like more or less like the origin or the very beginning so introduction as a soil scientist or a final year student studying soil science if you cannot define what soil is <laughs> because i'm not ready to define that if you cannot define soil in a very professional manner or not as a layman then well you see the question tomorrow it's up to you but well so let's move into soil physics and soil physics is the application of the principle of physics to characterize the soil the 
characterize the soil properties, you understand the soil processes, which involves the transport of matter and energy. And <clears throat> soil physicists, people studying soil physics, are generally concerned with heat and mass transport in the soil. Mass transport could be water or it could be air. And the subject they consider frequently are soil aeration, soil temperature, and soil water, which is the tree that we are being taught in this course. The statistics parameter of the soil are the soil porosity, the degree of saturation, bulk density, particle density, soil water potential. Those are the particle uh, potentials that don't change or the parameters that does not change. While the dynamic parameters are the mass and energy transport of the soil. And this can be described using the Darcy's law for water, the Fourier's law for heat, and the fixed law for gas. Mind you that each of these laws states that a flux density of heat or substance is proportional to a driving force. And the driving force for Darcy's law is water potential gradient and the driving force for Fourier's law is the temperature gradient and for that of gas the fixed law is the concentration gradient. Aside from the fact that soil physicists have remained concerned about the uh, physical environment around plants, conservation of resources, degradation and pollution problem by agricultural and non-agricultural agents, soil physicists are also and must be concerned with the flow and transport processes in the soil uh, between the soil surface and the groundwater table known as the Vado zone this is a zone where beyond the the ground the, the soil then you have the groundwater that kind of water that you get to when you do borehole that the water has got that's the, the water that is gotten from the Vado's zone so soil physicists are increasingly becoming participants in the global scale hydrologic research. So this was our talks for well, so I don't care. But in summary, what soil physicists does is that they design and analyze water and solute movement using classical method or computer-aided simulation models. They also evaluate the comparative effect of alternative soil and water management practices. They also study soil remediation, that's the degradation of contaminated soils. Uh, they check risk assessments that is involved in studying specific soil and water degradation. And also prediction of water and contamination transport. There are four major components or constituents of the soil and they are mineral matter, organic matter, air and water. The water and air makes up the void ratio as they share um, equal portions of the soil pores. So the depletion of one makes the availability of the other. In a dry soil where there is no water, it is filled with air. And in a saturated soil where it is filled with water, it is filled, there's, it means there is absence of air. And mineral matter and organic matter, mineral matter shares about 45% and organic matter shares about 5% of the whole system. So let's move into the soil phase. 
and the face is a portion of a system with definite geometrical boundaries and uniform properties and soil has three major phases we have the solid phase the liquid phase and the gaseous phase and these phases interact with the external environment like soil temperature and soil color so what is the solid phase the solid phase is the most dominant with great influence over the behavior of other two phases the solid phase is the soil matrix or the skeleton of the soil it is the product of wedging of parent rocks and materials which they contain the solid phase consists of the mineral matter and decomposed or decomposing organic matter of all shapes, sizes and arrangements. The liquid phase on the other hand is primarily water which is the soil solution containing various ions like the sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, chlorine, ions. The gaseous state is the soil air or atmosphere that is composed of the nitrogen gas, the oxygen gas, the CO2 gas and vapor mainly. Other gases in the atmosphere are also present in the soil, other like the methane hydrogen sulfide which are byproduct of impeded drainage conditions can also be found in the soil. Please I want you to note the difference between these three terms. The first one is dispersion. Dispersion refers to the degree of subdivision of the solid phase. And the dispersed phase is the textural or mechanical separates or aggregates. And the dispersed medium is mainly water. Now, when you make a soil solution, the dispersibility, or known as dispersion, is the degree of which the soil matrix settles and the soil water flows and the dispersed phase is the soil matrix while the dispersed medium is the soil water <laughs> so now let's dive deep into the solid phase and here we'll be talking about surface relationship and the first thing of surface relationship is the soil specific surface ha! this is where calculation begins but firstly what is soil specific surface it is um, a term that is used to describe the extent of the surface of the dispersed soil system. It is defined as the sum of the faces of the constituent dispersed soil particles referred to in unit mass or unit volume of the soil. Now, after your soil has been dispersed, the sum of all the surface of the constituent dispersed soil particles of the dispersed soil particles in either mass unit or volume unit is known as your soil specific surface and the specific surface is a geometrical concept which is strongly dependent on the degree of dispersion of the soil and one of those uh, things that is dependent on is the soil structure because soil, I mean soil texture, because the soil texture definitely affects the um, soil specific surface. How do you calculate this? Is the total surface area of the soil over the mass of the soil or over the volume of the soil? If you are to give in mass basis over mass of the soil, if you are to give in volume basis over volume of the soil, and the unit for mass is centimeter square over gram 
or centimeter for volume is centimeter square over centimeter cube and there is a relationship between the mass base and the volume base and that relationship can be found out using density and since we know density is mass over volume definitely mass is the same thing as density times volume and if our formula is of soil specific surface is um, the total area of the soil over the volume uh, over the mass then we can now change our mass into total area of the surface area over density times the volume and it will now be that here since the total surface area over volume is in volume basis then you can now say your specific area in volume basis over the density is your specific area in mass basis thank you very much let's move on to the next segment so what are the factors influencing these specific surfaces um, the first one is size, the second one is shape, and the third one is the mineralogy of the soil. When we talk about size, as the size decreases, then the specific surface increases. And as the shape, the shape has relationship with the size. The smaller the size, the larger the specific surface area. So the larger the specific surface area, the larger the increase in um, the larger the increase in specific surface area and when we come to mineralogy of the soil we know that we have primary and secondary clay minerals and kaolinite is a primary mineral that increases or it's larger in size and has a smaller surface area which means in this case it has a smaller specific surface then the secondary which means primary um, primary clay minerals has smaller specific surface area and secondary has larger specific area because they have larger surface area and they are smaller in size example of the primary clay mineral is the kaolinite and example of the secondary clay minerals is the vernaculite and the monomorilonite so I told you soil, soil texture usually affects um, the soil solids in soil solid phase and it also affects soil specific area. And what is soil texture? Soil texture is the relative proportion of different sized groups in soil on percentage basis and it is described as sand, silt and clay composition. The soil textural class, the grouping is based on the relative proportion and specifically we have percentage of sand, silt and clay. And to determine the soil texture, we can use the USDA textural triangle. USDA means United States Department of Agriculture. And <clears throat> sorry, I can't really shout this night, but I still promise to deliver shout. So, what is the mechanical composition of the soil? 
we are getting deeper so any co2 to bamu now the mechanical composition of the soil is the basic aspect of their physical investigation and the mechanical composition of the soil is useful for one the land use capability classification the study of the soil morphology genesis and mapping the texture uh, the texture of the mineral soil will definitely determine large extent that the physical and chemical behavior of that soil then the soil texture is an indicator of the type of management needed for good plant growth and for engineering purposes please note that texture varies with time so what are the mechanical analysis that we do in determining the particle size distribution of the soil sample you know when you know the particle size of the distribution of the soil sample you can relate it to the soil specific surface area and you can do a lot with that so particle size is a very very important mechanical analysis that we have to do there is a procedure when determining uh, particle size and the first step is to disperse dispersion firstly you have to remove organic matter either by heating or by applying hydrogen peroxide where necessary but generally in the tropical soil organic matter is low so sometimes you don't even need to add h2o2 hydrogen peroxide so after dispersion in an aqueous solution which the common dispersing agents is Calgon solution, the sodium hexamethaphosphate. You deflocculate with mechanical agitation. Deflocculation means uh, parts to the D. You shake, you stir so that you can have a uniform solution. Then you now determine the, or you quantify your size fraction. How, you, how do you do this? Firstly, you can do this by sieving and you sieve only coarse fractions because you can't sieve fine particles. So by using the nest of sieves corresponding to your desired particle size, maybe 2 mm, maybe 1 mm, maybe 0.5 mm sieves, and you can sieve maybe dry sieving or white sieving which means you even dry before you sieve or you sieve wet like that but you have to state it if your um, particle size is not coarse you can do what we call sedimentation and sedimentation is done for fra um, for what is it called for fine fractions and there's a law that governs sedimentation and that law is called Stokes, the Stokes law. What did Stokes say? Stokes talk see the resistance offered by liquid. Why you drop um, a spherical particle into a liquid? The resistance, you know, there will be an upward force and a downward force acting. The resistance, that upward force that is acting on that spherical um, surface or spherical particle, the resistance offered by the liquid to the fall of the rigid spherical 
particle varies with the circumference of the sphere and not with its surface. So Stokes law is just saying that the resistance that is offered by the liquid to the fall of rigid spherical particles does not concern the surface but rather varies with the circumference of the sphere. So the larger the circumference, the larger the resistance. Or Stokes law can also be said as the terminal velocity of a spherical particle settling under the influence of gravity in a fluid of a given density and viscosity is proportional to the square of the particle radius. Terminal velocity is the velocity that is attained when a particle gets to certain it, it gets to a certain um, stage. It enters into a constant velocity. So that velocity of a spherical particle settling under the influence of gravity. So when you drop a particle into a liquid, definitely it acts on gravity because it wants to settle down at the bottom. And the fluid must be of known viscosity and density. And when you do this, it is proportional to the square of that radius of the particle you have dropped. So the cost of settling is equal to the resistance of settling. And Stokes law formula is V equals to the difference in density times acceleration due to gravity um, times your diameter squared over 18 times the viscosity. I'll repeat the difference in density d1 minus d2 times acceleration due to gravity times diameter squared all over 18 times viscosity. Now, how do you know the time that it takes to fall through the depth in that um, container, your, jet, your, um, your particle? The time can be calculated by 18 times the distance of your container times the viscosity of your liquid times the difference in density. You know, you have a particle density and you have also the liquid density. So the difference in density times acceleration due to gravity times your diameter squared. Well, I can't solve questions in voice, so we just skip that part. I, I wish I could answer questions, but I prefer you just drop them in the group. I sent a question I saw here to the mail of the lecturer. Hopefully, I can get feedback before the exam. And we are moving to soil structure in the next part. So that's why I shout out to my OGs. So stay with us. So let's move into soil structure. But before I do that, I'd like to greet the six ladies in the department. Ajay Sekina Maji. Victoria Maji, Chioma Maji, Fisayo, my project mate, my project buddy, um, Balogun Torayo, and lastly, the Aogubu Okoye Department, I love you, the mothers of the department, uh, I pray you 
get success in all your endeavors. And I'm coming back to greet the men, the real deeds. Come back to all of you, but we still have to move very fast. So we're moving to soil structure. What is soil structure? Soil structure relates to the arrangement of primary soil particles into groupings called aggregates or pets. The smallest particle size of a soil is known as a pedon. The pattern of pores or pets defined by soil structure is greatly influenced or greatly influences water movement, heat transfer, aeration, and porosity. So, early your soil structure, learn, you know, I will study um, soil physics stuff, actually. Mind you, we have not gotten into the study. All this is just still introduction to me. <laughs> we are just 20, 22 slides out of 97, and after this 97, we have just gotten halfway. I know at this point you can vex and off the podcast well. I don't have you. You mean make I carry everybody along. So there are different types of structural pets that are caused within the soil uh, profile. And firstly we'll talk about grid. And grid describes the distinctiveness of pets, the differential between the coercion within pets and the adhesion between heads and it relates to the degree of aggregation or the development of soil structure so in a finger test you can classify the grid the durability uh, or the crushing of soil sample that time where you test is it gritty does it give sound you can also classify them in form i won't really delve into this but we have the, um, the spheroidal form or the platy form or the blocky form or prismatic-like form. A granular or chrome structure is often found in the A horizons, a platy structure in the E horizons. But all of this, you just need to know that the uh, blocky type is divided into angular blocky and subangular blocky and the prism like uh they also have their own division so but i don't think that is just know that your soil structure could either be in grid it could either be in form or could either be in um <clears throat> what else what else do we have because i want us to complete this as fast as possible well, your soil might be structureless sometimes, since if soil, your soil is a single grain soil, which means soil is broken into individual particles that does not stick together, which means your soil has loose consistency. Your soil can also be massive, <laughs> like WKC. Soil has no visible structure, so it's hard to break down, and it appears usually in very large clots. That you have to break that's another soil structure so how do you measure soil structure you can measure soil structure by measuring the size and shape of aggregate and spaces or pore spaces within them and this is a three-dimensional study of undisturbed soil or you should measure it indirectly by measuring parameters which are used to estimate soil structure properties 
like aggregate size distribution, aggregate stability, porosity, pore size distribution, permeability, infiltration, bulk density. Um, uh, this course go mad because there are a lot of ways you can be asked questions. Alright, so let's move into the deal. So we'll start with soy water. Like seeing how this one long pass. Question team bad and I shiva. Anyway, choice. So what are the properties of water? Because we're talking about soil water. Water is the common most common of all liquid indispensable for life. It accounts for about 60 to 95% of material in all organisms. It dissolves nutrients in all biological and porous bodies like the soil, and it means transporting nutrients that is dissolved or suspended in the soil. And water serves as a solvent to make solutions or suspension. Solvent is a liquid, solution is combining solvent and solute. And suspension is like a case of when you want to drink dairy, when you pour water, you know it doesn't dissolve completely. And we have the colloidal state. The colloidal state it's somewhat like a when it forms colloids. So what are the physical properties of water? A liquid is characterized by having by it having a definite volume, but water has no definite shape, it rather takes the shape of the container. The density of uh, water is about zero. I mean, of liquid is about zero point nine nine eight gram per cent cube. For solid, I don't. Well, let me let me just do what is important. What is relative density? And if you are not given a relative density, you can be asked in specific gravity. And it is defined as the density of a liquid divided by the density of pure water. So relative density is relating the density of a liquid to the density of water at 4 degrees Celsius. So one thing we cannot avoid to escape is pressure in liquid. So what is pressure in liquid? A liquid in a container exerts pressure because of its weight and pressure in liquid acts in all direction. The pressure in a liquid is directly proportional to its depth as pressure in a liquid increases with as the depth increases. So normally we know that pressure is force over area and if you are asked to prove that pressure is alternatively an energy density what you just do is multiply force by distance multiply area by distance because area times distance is volume force times distance is energy so energy over volume which is energy density you have been able to prove that um, <coughs> pres um, pressure is energy density so you know that I said that you know pressure acts upward and downwards so let's take a downward pressure as peanut and upward pressure as P and we know that <coughs> if you multiply this by area we have for upward force we have P 
criteria and for downward force we have p naught times area the resultant of the upward force is p naught p minus p naught times area and for the upward force um, downward force when you break it down you have density times acceleration due to gravity times h ah, all these things are very hard but the fundamental hydrostatic equation is p minus p naught equals to density times gravity times the distance so how do you measure pressure in liquid or gas well the unit of pressure can be atmospheric pressure one atmosphere or 760 tor or 1.01 times 10 raised to the power 5 pascal I still don't know how well I can really give you this so that you can feel it. So let's describe some terms we use in soil water, like soil water content, which is the quantity of water in the soil. Then we also have soil water potential, which is describing water in terms of free energy per unit mass. We also have the metric of pressure potential, we will get to that. We have the soil moisture characteristic curve which is the volumetric water content plotted against the metric or pressure potential and saturation is the soil maximum retentive capacity air dryness is the lowest wetness on the field which is the wetness at field capacity open dry condition is when you uh, dry uh, soil using in the laboratory using the oven dry at 105 degrees Celsius for over 24 hours so how do we measure the soil water content we can do this gravimetrically or volumetrically so <clears throat> volume is depth times area or is there anybody that does not know that so how do you also determine bulk density and volumetric uh, water content in a gravelly or stony soil. I've told you how to determine water content by multiplying the area times depth, and there are various ways. We can get the quantity or in grams by doing mass of water over volume of the total soil, the total soil solution. You understand? So that's how to get the quantity of water. You can also do that by doing volume of water over volume of total if you want to get your water soil water content in grams you do mass of water over volume of total and if you want to get in what in in volumetric analysis you do volume of water over volume of total the volume of total is the volume of solid plus volume of water plus volume of air and you can also do that by <coughs> multiplying the dry bulk density over the um, wet bulk density at field capacity times w what is w me myself i didn't even know w but well <clears throat> the relative density of the bulk specific gravity r times w which is i think mass of water or volume of water so to determine bulk density and volumetric water content in a gravelly or stony soil 
firstly you find the dry the the um, the formula is w times the bulk dry bulk density over wet bulk density over one plus mass of stone over mass of fine i'd rather feel i teach you guys calculation physically than do it over a podcast because most of these things here you might not really understand there are also indirect method of soil water content determination uh, firstly <clears throat> you measure some property of the soil that is affected by soil water or you measure property of some object placed on soil and the advantages of this indirect method is it reduces labor and time it is non-destructive and there is point-to-point variation on plot which may be misconstrued as the temporary variation in direct methods so we use some uh, equipment to test for soil water like the gypsum block sensor the electric resistance method we also have the nutrient scattering or attenuation we have the gamma ray technique so we are moving to capillary and soil water and in the next segment we'll be talking about that so in this episode we are going to move to capillary and soil water but yeah i still have to shout out to Miami hoc uh pohab I uh, want to shout out to Big Joe, I want to shout out to Barbados, I want to shout out to Coach Anonymous Alamo Korea, Ryan Squad, Hulu, um, Daily, Ah, Boys Many, Boys Many, Aruto Sen, Ah, if I don't remember again, I will shout out. So, this is me, your uncle, may shout out to all of you. So there are two forces responsible for the movement of soil water and it is the gravitational which means the downward movement or the capillary which means the upward movement and in this case we are talking about capillary and that capillary is also affected by two forces we have the adhesion and we have cohesion adhesion is the attraction of water to the solid and cohesion is the attraction of water molecules to one another. So the height of rise in a capillary tube is inversely proportional to the tube radius. So H is proportional to 1 over R and the constant is 0.15. So hence H equals 0.15 over R. And both H and R are expressed in centimeter. So let's move to water holding capacity and soil structure. The tension of suction created by a small capillary tube, la 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 la, that's not important. Um, energy status of the soil. The difference in energy level of water from one site or one condition to another determines the direction and rate of water movement. I repeat, the difference in energy level of water from one site or one condition to another determines 
the dry, uh, direction and rate of water movement. The energy level in one condition, the wet soil, to another level, the dry one, determines the direction and rate of water movement. So water moves from the higher energy state, wet soil, to a lower energy state, the dry soil. The difference of these two is what we call the soil water potential, which is the free energy water that is moving. So what is the component of soil water potential? The ISSS, International Soil Science Society, they define the total potential of soil water as, listen carefully, the amount of work that must be done per unit quantity of pure water in order to transport reversibly and isothermally an infinitesimal quantity of water from a pool of pure water at a specified elevation and atmospheric pressure to the soil water is your total potential of soil water. Because we so how do you calculate soil water? <laughs> and the total soil water potential is the gravitational potential plus the soil water potential plus osmotic potential plus pneumatic potential and for plus envelope potential. All of this means I don't know. If we were taught in class, I didn't go. So in majority of situation, the simplest definition for total potential is just uh, water potential plus gravitational potential. So if you want the add osmotic envelope and co, now you know. With the potential expressed as energy per unit, uh, capital H equals H plus Z, where H is the sum of pressure potential head and small, uh, that small H and gravitational potential head that small Z. Hey, calculation mark for any calculation on timber. How do you express water potential? You can express it in three ways. You can express in energy per unit mass, joules per kilogram, or you can express in energy per unit volume, that's Newton per meter square, or you can express in energy per unit weight, hydraulic head. The expression of gravitational potential. Do you need all these things? Maybe I'll, I'll still look into some past questions, shall sure. So what is pressure potential? This pressure potential accounts for the effect of soil water potential of all factors other than gravity and solid level. So the positive hydrostatic pressure due to the weight of water in saturated soils and aquifers and the negative pressure due to attractive force between the water and soil solids or matrix. So pressure potential is the addition of these two. So pressure potential occurs in saturated soil, matrix potential occurs in unsaturated soil. Both potential are mutually exclusive. Pressure potential is positive or matrix potential is negative. The hydrostatic pressure of water with reference to the atmosphere is hydrostatic pressure is equal to density times acceleration due to gravity times distance. I think I just have to keep um, dodging some things. Soil moisture characteristics. 
The relationship between soil texture and structure on the soil water retention curve. Soil texture like sand, loam, clay, soil structure like well granulated or well structured and compacted soil. So what is hysteresis? Hysteresis is the relationship of soil water content and the soil water potential. And this is determined as the soil dries out, which will differ somewhat from the relationship measured as the soil is rewetted. So when soil is drying, the pattern it follows is not the same as when soil is being rewetted. So this phenomenon describes the dependence of equilibrium content and state of soil water upon direction of process leading it up to what we call hysteresis. And hysteresis is caused by a number of factors, geometric non-uniformity of soil pores, air entrapment, some macro pores. Hey, should we look good at tomorrow lights? Ah. One important thing is we should learn is the principle of the tensiometer and when we did SOS513 practical we were taught how to use a pressure plate so please know how to the principles of this too as I won't be able to cover them so um, <clears throat> we move into water flow in the soil uh, water flow in the soil may take the following form we have saturated water flow unsaturated and vapor movement I feel before we were sent to these slides. Hmm. Hey, hey, hey. something is gonna be happening. Um, uh, I think at this point I'll be needing some class notes sample uh, to get determine soil water potential you need to use a soil core or the Kopecky ring oh. <laughs> you see what I'm saying along as well on the image hey good nothing that I cut in the mouth well, it, let's let's move to soil hydrology and we'll close soil water because we still have more to cover. And before then, just just keep yourself company. Guys, that's the voice of <laughs> that's my voice though. So let's look at water vapor movements in soil. The root zone normally have large air field porosity. The vapor moves from warm to cold region and downward during day and upward during the night. Available water content. Let's talk about feed capacity. And field capacity is defined as moisture content in the soil after two to three days rain or irrigation has stopped. 
The moisture content that is held in the macropores has rapidly drained downwards. So soil is not saturated but is still in a very wet condition. So traditionally defined as the water content corresponding to a soil water potential. And permanent wilting point. After fluid capacity, the further drying of the soil uh, is usually speeded up by plant uptake and crop water uptake taps on water from the largest pores. As larger pores get empty, water uptake progressively becomes more difficult. So at this point, plants begin to wilt and during the daytime and to conserve moisture until they wilt even at night. So <clears throat> the available water is the difference in fluid capacity and permanent wilting point. Because the water held in the field between the fluid capacity and permanent wilting point is the available water. And there's what we call hygroscopic coefficient, is the amount of moisture in dry hair. The difference in air dry and oven dry is the hygroscopic coefficient. The factors affecting plant water capacity is one, the plant available water capacity of the soil is dependent on the soil texture, organic matter content, osmotic potential, compaction, and soil depth. So, solute transport as well, which is caused by mass flow. The velocity of the solute travel is called pore water velocity. Flow path usually torturous. Hey, I think at this point, yeah, I'll just gonna carry past questions and just be relating questions that I know. Because many powerful to do to find solute flux density, you use the Darcy's law, which is negative uh, diffusive coefficient over change in concentration with, uh, with a particular distance so minus diffusion coefficient dc dx and <clears throat> we move to soil hydrology there's nothing much to say here because hydrology is simply the study of water and how it moves or is distributed and the quality uh, of water on earth and water is, a, is unique as it can exist in all three states liquid solid and gas so soil hydrology encompasses all the components of water related to irrigation and drainage percolation and groundwater recharge capillary rise many more like that so some of the hydrologic process we ask this in test infiltration storage redistribution drainage evaporation and transpiration and all of this occurs within the soil spores and the interaction of soil with various components of hydrology is important for hydrological cycle and it is known as soil hydrology so i close this chapter on soil water and we'll be moving to soil temperature <clears throat> life hard Come on now, this is a regular. Friday, Jesus, as if 
So, welcome back to the segment, and in this segment, we'll be talking about soil mechanics and soil temperature. The study of response of soil to external input or to external impact rather is soil mechanics. And this soil mechanics has some kind of interaction with the civil engineers. The resistance of soil at various moisture content to mechanical stress or manipulation is what we call soil consistence. And the soil consistence combines the coercive and adhesive force which determines the ease at which a soil will be reshaped or ruptured. We have three categories of this moisture content. We have the west, we have the wet, the moist and the dry. And there are several resistance of soil consistence and some of these are resistance to compression, resistance to friability, resistance to shear, resistance to plasticity, resistance to stickness. Uh, all of these resistance are quantitatively described. Consistence determines whether soil can easily be handled or manipulated by soil moving equipment. And low soil water means there's a soil stiffness and when there's increase in soil water, soil can become plastic. And the more increase in soil water makes the soil becomes more liquid and this brings us to the Atterberg's test. What is the Atterberg test saying? I wish I can show you an illustration but well. <clears throat> the movement of when you're adding water, when you're wetting the soil like from the driest state it moves from solid to semi-solid the transition from solid to semi-solid there is a shrinkage shrinkage limit it has to break then from this semi-solid it moves to plastic and from semi-solid to plastic there's also another limit called the plastic limit then from plastic to liquid there's another limit called the liquid limit all of these limits are called the <clears throat> Atterberg's limit and this test is called the Atterberg test. The properties that enable a clay to change its shape without cracking when it is subjected to a deforming stress is soil plasticity or you can define soil plasticity as the property of clay to deform without rupture when it is subjected to a force with excess of its yield value. Liquid limit is the lowest water content at which the soil behavior is still largely liquid and it is determined by two methods we have the Cassegrain method and the Falcone method the Cassegrain method is where the moisture content at which a groove closes and moves for about 25 times is called the liquid limit which is the value of water content for which a standard v-shaped groove that is caught in the soil we close after 25 drop or <clears throat> uh, the falcon method which is also a method used to determine liquid limit it is a system where you use a known weight of a cone and a known angle like 60 gram weight and 60 uh, degree of angle then it's placed on the tip of a clay soil sample it's dropped on it and the depth of the cone at the depth of the cone the liquid limit is defined as the water content corresponding to uh, exactly 10 mm of the penetration depth and it is more consistent than the Cassegrand method. We have the plastic limit which is the transition of plastic and the semi-solid consistence 
It is determined by finding the water content at which soil is rolled into 3mm and after being rolled into 3mm it begins to crumble. So when clay is wet it can be rolled without crumbling or when it is dry it crumbles. Then the shrinkage limit is the water content below which the soil stops to shrink. It separates the soil moist consistence from the hard consistence and the linear shrinkage can be measured by the coefficient of linear extensibility which is dry bulk over wet bulk density at field capacity all in brackets 1 over 3 you raise it to 1 over 3 or the cube root of the dry bulk density over the wet bulk density at field capacity minus 1 and there's something we call the plastic index and the plastic index is the difference in plastic limit and liquid limit and high plastic index indicates that clay can easily be used without fear of it turning to liquid and <clears throat> in the next segment we'll be talking about soil strength so that is that on soil uh, consistency and let's move to soil strength So soil strength, like I've said, the shear strength of a soil is the maximum resistance of a soil to the movement of its particle. A resistance to slippage or sliding of soil particle over another. And shear strength is expressed by Morse-Coulomb's equation, R equals C plus tan theta. Uh, C plus uh, a Greek alphabet times theta. The Greek alphabet could be, let's use beta, beta times tan theta, where R is the shear strength and beta is the shear normal to the shear plane and tan theta is the coefficient of internal friction and <clears throat> C equals the force of coercion. So where R equals C, that means there's no stress and when R equals beta tan theta, it means your soil is a pure sand. All these things you can be asked to discuss. <laughs> My supervisor. Mm -hmm. It's too savvy. Shear strength of the soil is mostly reliable in triaxial compression. Though you can have uniaxial um, comparison or compression rather when one force is applied. But when three type of force is applied, that's triaxial compression. And shear strength is equal to the force required to break the soil. <clears throat> Modulus of rupture strength that you know, I told you you can use the more column equation or the modulus of rupture, and that's the strength equals 3fl over 2bd square. B is the beam width, D is the beam depth, F is the load of force, and L is the distance between the beam. And the effect of water on soil strength is total stress is a function of effective stress and intergranular force of water pressure soil compaction this is the change in volume of the soil under applied stress and it denotes the increase in void ratio per increase in pressure and some of the causes are animal traction weight of machine increase in bulk density particle reorientation due to drying and the extent of compassion is the function of the soil moisture content at operation time. So in the next chapter, we'll be moving to soil heat flow. So I guess we're moving fast. This man's part is even quite simple.
and Dr. Mrs. Onosoya's party is big, or <laughs> you see Dr. Busari's party. Come on, Major. Where? It's gonna be fine, somebody. I swear, fatigue don't desert him, but you're on your knee, ah, and you could say, So, so it influences soil temperature, and soil temperature involves there's soil air, um, soil temperature, and there's air temperature, and these two influences plant growth and root elongation. Now, what's the source of heat? The sun emits short wave electromagnetic radiation, and out of this radiation coming from the sun, only 45% succeeds in getting to the earth atmosphere now from the sun it gets to the earth atmosphere before it gets to the earth atmosphere it is first absorbed then the ones that are absorbed releases then there's reflection there's diffuse scattering upward and downward scattering so the direct transmission and the downward scattering that gets to the earth makes up the global radiation of 45 percent and <clears throat> short waves are waves that can be seen while long waves are waves that you can't see you can see the waves coming from the sun from the rays and you cannot see the one that's leaving the sun so the global radiation which is 45 percent the global radiation gives a net radiation of about 67 percent and out of this 67 percent you know 16 has been reflected and stuff like that so the net radiation is what gets to the soil and the soil loses heat from evaporation and sensible heat or more how do you calculate um, net radiation net radiation is one minus out there do close bracket times the uh, global radiation close the difference in the radiation of the sky and the radiation of the earth the summation rn which is net radiation the summation of incoming minus summation of all outgoing radiation on the soil surface and albedo ranges from zero to one the total um <clears throat> the global radiation is the sum of direct and diffuse radiation it is also known as the total radiation coming into the Earth's atmosphere. Why the Earth's radiation is the radiation from the soil surface and it is a long wave radiation. And radiation is calculated by, I mean, it's, the unit is Langley per day. And one Langley per day is 0.85 watts per meter square. So day and night has different radiation net radiation comes downwards during the daytime evaporation goes upward sensible heat goes upward and the soil heat goes downwards but at night the soil heat goes upward evaporation also goes upward net radiation goes upward only sensible heat comes downwards at night so net radiation can also be found by sensible heat plus the latent heat of vaporization times evaporation evaporation plus <clears throat> the soil heat flux between the surface and deeper flux hey
I doubt people will listen to this trap. So let's go to potential evaporation, which is the amount of water lost under ideal condition. We'll be moving to soil temp. Alright, soil temperature, and this is the measure of thermal state of a body with respect to its ability to transfer heat. Soil temperature influences water flow, germination, decomposition, chemical reaction. Soil temperature is a criteria for soil classification. The factors affecting soil temperature are conduction, radiation, convection, evaporation and condensation. The intensity of heat in the soil is known as soil temperature. The amount of heat in the soil and change is amounted, oh sorry, the intensity of heat in the soil is soil temperature. Then the amount of heat in the soil and change in amount is calculated using a reference standard is the soil heat content. The amount of heat required to raise a temperature by a unit mass uh, or a temperature of a unit mass by 1 degree Celsius is soil heat capacity. The ratio of the amount of heat flux density to the temperature gradient is soil thermal conductivity, which is a measure of how much heat will be conducted through the soil under standard condition. Hey! So help me God. Amen. So what are the modifications of soil temperature? Soil temperature alters the soil surface condition by covering the soil surface with mulch. Then it can also alter soil temperature by using soil water due to high specific capacity. High soil water increases the thermal conductivity of the soil. Tillage as well also modifies soil temperature by the soil porosity and water content. Irrigation and drainage can also modify. Direction of slope can also modify soil temperature. What of soil, air, and aeration? Dr. Mrs. Onosha's part. We are done with Professor Yudele's part two weeks. So let's move to Dr. Mrs. Onosha's part where I will conclude the lecture so I can go and read for tomorrow. Richard first and with Papi on that so let's move into the final phase which is soil air and aeration. Pores in the soil are shared by air and water. I told you air and water makes up the void ratio and soil aeration influences plant roots and microbial activity. The air that fills the soil pore that is not 
filled by water is the soil air. <clears throat> the process of exchange of CO2 and O2 with the atmosphere is soil aeration. Other volatile forms of N, S and hydrocarbons are involved in soil aeration. The fractional volume of soil air at field capacity Okay, sorry, sorry. Sorry for the breaking transmission. Um, the fractional volume of air in the soil at field capacity water content is the soil air capacity and it is derived by total porosity minus the field capacity content. Gaseous exchange with respect to concentration gradients or partial pressure is diffusion. And <clears throat> We are going to be the movement of CO2 in and CO2 out is also diffusion. So, if you are asked to explain diffusion in order to buttress your point, you do it well. I'm a kind of I'm a little bit rusty during this podcast, but it's accumulated stress and fatigue, and I know everybody too. We don't tire, but we just got to do what we gotta do. So the difference in total pressure, which means the pressure between the soil air and the atmospheric air into and out is the mass flow and soil parameter indicating the readiness of the soil to transmit gases when pressure difference exists is air permeability and the soil air composition is influenced by soil type, soil water and the gas solubility. In the atmosphere, we have about 79% nitrogen, 20.9% oxygen, and 0.04% carbon dioxide. While we have 79.2% in soil for nitrogen, 20.6% for oxygen, and 0.25% for CO2. And the factors influencing soil air composition are microbial activity, organic matter, plant root respiration, the crop grown, drainage, season, water content, soil structure, tillage. And there are two ways gaseous exchange happens in the soil. Is either by diffusion or by mass flow or convective flow in the soil. Diffusion uh, is explained as the principal mechanism that plant root and microbial activity establishes a concentration gradient which becomes the driving force of diffusion process. Um, diffusive transport occurs partly in both gaseous and liquid phase and may, describe, and may be described by the fixed law. Diffusion is, spont- is a spontaneous process. A fixed law is described as Q equals to minus D dc dx and q is the diffusing flux and the diffusion coefficient is minus d and dc dx is the concentration gradient where dc is changing concentration and dx is time or the length the factors affecting the rate of diffusion are the concentration gradient increase in temperature molecular weight of diffusing gas cross-sectional area through which diffusion occurs so that's that on diffusion let's move to mass flow the gaseous flow occurring as a result of total gas pressure is mass flow the total mass of air stream from higher to lower zone 
is uh, what we call the mass flow and the factors affecting this are temperature gradient, uh, barometric pressure difference, wind gust, wind gust like windstorm, water infiltration, tillage slash compaction and fluctuation of shallow water. The law backing this mass flow is Darcy's law. The law backing diffusion is the fixed law. Mind you, Darcy's law is also used for solute transport and is also used for um, soil water as well. So it is denoted as JA equals to KA over lambda times the PDX. The PDX is your pressure gradient, change in pressure over the cross-sectional area. Then KA is the constant, the air permeability constant. Lambda is your viscosity and JA is the volume flux of density of air. For all this formula, you need to check your notes. And how do you calculate bulk density? Bulk density is the oven dried soil over the volume of soil. Total porosity is calculated by 1 minus the bulk density. So how do you measure the soil gaseous phase? Firstly, you can measure the soil gaseous phase by soil air content which is total porosity minus water content in volume to get your soil air content or you use the gaseous composition of your air or you use the rate of gaseous exchange based on mass flow this time not diffusion so soil air and plant growth soil air has influence on plant morphology plant physiology and it induces chemical and biochemical reactions in plants Morphology in the sense that soil air affects the thin cell walls in the roots, it suppresses the root air, reduction in leaf area, less complex root branching. And when it comes to physiology, there's decline in pH of plant sap, decrease in permeability of plasma membrane, reduces transpiration, delay in reproductive uh, system then the induced chemical or physical uh, biochemical reactions are denitrification manganese reduction iron reduction and so4 reduction so that is the end of ss5 country i'm glad you stayed with us throughout this journey it is boring i know it is difficult i know it is mad or crazy i'm aware and i'm sure our lecturers are aware so i wish you best of luck cool. I said you guys should ask me questions, but at this point, I don't think you should ask me any questions. Thank you very much. See you. See you when I see you.